The 0-1 pitch to Bo. Drilled in the air out to right center field. Hit pretty well. Marsh gets to the wall. It's gone! Bo Bichette with his fourth of camp. A soaring drive to the berm in right center field. Doubles the score for Toronto. Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Tuesday, March 28th. Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producers are Christian, Ryan, and Nick Andrade. And Ben, here we are in the visitors radio booth at, and you know what? Embarrassed to admit, I don't actually know the name. They've of- changed it. Have they? Yeah. What's so? Where are we? I couldn't tell you. I know we're in Clearwater, <laughs> Florida. They changed the name of this park. I looked it up on my way here. Um, but it's a very nice ballpark. You don't know either. I just when I'm heading here. Well, actually, I just know it now because I know old coachmen that you take to get in here. But if I was, I would just put in like Thrashers Ballpark because I know this is where the Clearwater Thrashers play. Anyway, this is the uh, Florida home of the Philadelphia Phillies spring training, uh, and it's actually a nice ballpark, honestly. Um, aside from like us 19 being beyond the right field wall and just having to watch like pollution boxes kind of just like stroll past all day but otherwise like it is a a nice view out here you got a nice tiki bar in left field and we have found uh, a nice quiet radio booth after the blue jays final game of spring training the blue jays uh as we speak likely headed to the airport could be sitting on the tarmac getting ready to fly off to st louis uh it's over the blue jays made it to the end mostly intact yes and because of that we can say that this spring was successful for the jays basically every time we talk to john schneider in the course of the last like week basically he's saying we just want to get through spring healthy we just want to get to st louis and get this thing started and now they're finally at that point where aside from one injury scare for vlad jr mitch white is going to start the season on the injured list but otherwise they are healthy and that's the biggest thing for this team they have a lot of talent they should be poised to compete for an american league east title they should be one of the world series favorites coming out of the american league all of that is still in place as they were hoping it would be it is remarkable when you kind of like look around at other clubs even just in the american league east right like the yankees dealing with injury stuff carlos rodon and uh that'll be out severino frankie montas Montas. it's not good can you tell it's like the final day of (laughs) spring training and i've been at this for six weeks i'm like forgetting the yankees rotation right now only 162 to go (laughs) i know the red Sox, right james paxton and garrett whitlock right like the rays have had injury um concerns as well like for the blue jays to get to this point where you're not looking, and I, if John Schneider is in this room, he would have me knocking on every piece of wood yep. within like, uh, you know, a 50 meter radius. But for the Blue Jays to get to this point without anyone of significance having any serious health concern, it's almost surprising to yeah. get through this amount of baseball with that being the case. Exactly. Because if you played six weeks in the regular season, usually someone gets hurt. So you play six weeks in any setting at the level that these guys are competing at, you would think that someone uh, would be would be in trouble. But position player-wise, they are breaking camp with exactly the group of players. I mean, it's Nathan Lucas instead of Otto Lopez, as we'll talk about, I'm sure. But you know, this is exactly the core group of players that they wanted to break with. Same for the starting rotation. Yusei Kikuchi, another great outing against the Phillies here at whatever they're calling this ballpark this afternoon. You know, that's exactly what they wanted. The bullpen is in great shape. In fact, again, as we'll get to, they have enviable depth beyond the major league team when it comes to the bullpen so they're in a great spot again this is a team that should have world series aspirations they do have world series aspirations and those are very well founded at this point yeah like the orioles looking at dylan tate and like john means michael Givens, all with with injury concerns with the rays i mean i know franco was kind of banged up obviously glass now and baz both have injury yeah. concerns uh it's kind of wild that the blue jays have gotten to this point uh as healthy as they have you teased it so let's kind of do a somewhat of a season preview like of sorts by just taking a little bit of a trip around the 26-man roster that we're going to see uh in st louis on thursday we found out the final pieces of it here today although uh you know we've been talking about it all spring but let's start on the position player side you mentioned nathan lucas makes it as the 13th 
position player uh as i kind of have been saying throughout spring like this isn't a position that plays i think the blue jays will have a a pretty solid sort of 12 player rotation uh if everyone's healthy and why would they ever all be healthy but you even look at last season where it was essentially an 11 player rotation and then he added whit merrifield to it at the trade deadline but that's kind of how the blue jays do things and i think that you'll see the blue jays mixing and matching more this year probably some more diverse Steve lineups like they they've certainly diversified skill sets across their roster that's a bit of a feature of this year's team but when you think about the the 13th spot to me it's just defense and base running like I don't know how many plate appearances Nathan Lucas is really going to get I don't know if Nathan Lucas is going to be on the Blue Jays 26 man roster on like April 20th (laughs) but for the time that he is with the club like he's there to defend he's there to run the bases he does both those things really well I think that's why he's on the team and it's a great story for Nathan Lucas seven seasons in the minor leagues really eight if you count the pandemic season so he's grinded 28 years old now for the first time going to be breaking camp and and having the chance to compete in the major leagues so he's someone who certainly has earned this opportunity played really well at AAA last year hit very well and also was able to steal 20 bags play all three outfield positions so we bring something but like you said he's not necessarily going to play a ton for this team and honestly you know, it's it's a good thing for baseball that they have 26 man rosters, and that's obviously collectively bargained, and that's you know the way things are. But the Blue Jays don't actually need 26 players. Like <laughs> if they had to get by with 25, they would be totally fine. And I think that they want to have their 13 pitchers. That makes a lot of sense the way the game is played. But they really only need 12 position players. Lucas is almost a bonus where it's like you can pinch run for a Kirk for a Brandon Belt. You can maybe play in the outfield. Hopefully the Jays are up big or maybe down big in St. Louis one day. Get Nathan Lucas in there. Have him make that major league debut. And then we'll see where the season goes from there. Yeah, he's here because of that pitcher restriction, right? Yeah. Because the Blue Jays, if they didn't have that restriction, I guarantee you would be carrying nine relievers. Yep. <laughs> it it's went, Jay Jackson, Nate yeah. Pearson. Yeah. It, exactly. Like That's how they would like to use that roster spot, but they're not allowed to. So they're going to carry Nathan Lucas to do those those things that you mentioned. And I think that's why they're not going to carry Otto Lopez, because he was just going to sit around and wasn't really going to play. And he was going to be the first guy at the ballpark in, in the weight room, the first guy out there with Louis Rivera for infield drills for the game and then he was just going to sit around like I think the Blue Jays would rather that he was at AAA playing getting reps keeping his bat active like being in the field seeing ground balls a shortstop playing some center field as well for for the Bisons I'm sure and being ready uh, in the event that there is an injury because he's a guy who might have to come up and actually play and actually fill in and take plate appearances and maybe even get starts so I think the Blue Jays probably see that as his value to their roster we get so caught up in who's on the opening day roster and who are the 26 but really I think the Blue Jays think about it a lot more holistically and think a lot more about like series three four five six of the season than they do about just series one and two I wonder too and you know there's there's an aspect where you have to take the best team right so if one player is clearly ahead of the other you're taking that player but Both of these guys played really well in spring. And maybe if there's a tie, do you go with the 28-year-old who's never played in the major leagues and and sort of bring him into that environment knowing that you might need him later in the season as well, especially with Otto Lopez being someone who can continue to develop as a 24-year-old in AAA getting regular at-bats. So, you know, again, Lucas is in the major leagues because they believe he has major league skills and can contribute to major league games. But it's nice for him as well as an acknowledgement of the kind of time that he's put in to be in the majors following those eight minor league seasons. Should say it doesn't seem like there's appetite for the Blue Jays to go outside the organization right now for that spot. That's something that you know I, I wondered about a lot this spring because why not just increase your your depth but i just don't think the blue jays love the options that have become available didn't have interest in keston Hira. uh you know oakland right now is like telling anybody who will listen hey we'll trade you christian pache but like if you can't make the oakland athletics roster that really does tell you something like for as sound defensively as Pache is and like, uh, you know, pretty, pretty good speed, although maybe not the best base runner, like speed doesn't always translate to base running. There's got to be something and I haven't exactly, you know, dove into this too much. There's got to be something there in the offensive profile in the bat in something about him as a player where teams right now and the Blue Jays included are just not 
interested. So I, I don't foresee the Blue Jays going outside the organization. Yeah, it sounded in the last few days that they were really focusing their sights internally. Lopez had that really good spring. They also liked what they saw from Vinny Capra, uh, who is not on the 40-man roster. And it really did seem like it would come down to Lucas and Lopez, both of whom were on the 40-man roster. And yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm expecting that we see Lucas maybe couple times a week you know if it's more than that then probably something has happened for the blue jays that is not going according to plan how do you feel about this position player group as a whole how do you feel about sir the 12 player rotation ahead of lucas we spent a lot of time talking about a guy who's not going to play very much how do you feel about like the blue jays options john schneider's options this year on a nightly basis versus what he was looking at in 2022 well it's a different group and I, i think that we're going to see a better defensive group, probably a group that runs the bases better and maybe plays a bit of a tighter brand of baseball. That's certainly the hope for this Blue Jays team to have Kevin Kiermeyer in center field. I mean, he's moving great, by the way. You watch him on two hips that work this year. I mean, he's certainly going to be a difference maker defensively. You look, of course, at George Springer and Dalton Varsho in the corners. Those are both upgrades on Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and what the Jays had in the corners last year. So it's going to be a very strong defensive club. They're going to have a full season of Whit Merrifield around this team, which can really help even if he's more of a supplemental or you know partial time role. But you know, you look at this group of of twelve players. It's one of the best in baseball. It's hard to find a lot of groups that would be better than this group. I mean, the Astros obviously are up there. The Dodgers every single year. Atlanta has an incredible group of position players. The Padres, of course, have tons of top talent. But the Blue Jays belong in that discussion. They're not outpaced by anyone when it comes to the group of 12 position players that they have uh, going north to St. Louis. I feel like versus 22 it is just a much less redundant offense it's a much more functional roster there are just there are more ways the blue jays can produce runs it's not just going to be lining up all your right-handed hitters and then like just trying to outslug the opposition i think that's why you saw the blue jays fall into or at least like this is a theory why the blue jays fell into as many ruts and funks and extended slumps as they did last year where there were these stretches of five six seven games where it was like Another sinker slider guy just like turned over the Blue Jays lineup twice and handed it off to a few right-handed relievers out of the bullpen with velo and nasty stuff and the Blue Jays lost four to two or whatever. Like I just think that the idea is that there will be fewer funks like that or at least the, the slumps that you do fall into won't be as extended because the lineup's just a lot more versatile. Like the Blue Jays have been progressively working towards a more functional roster a more positionally versatile roster as you mentioned for years now yeah right and i think some of the personnel didn't always fit into that like you try it with like a lourdes goriel jr and it turns out oh like instead of a guy who can defend everywhere <laughs> you're a guy who can defend nowhere right? yeah. and we saw a few kind of examples of that along the way and i feel like now john schneider is just going to be filling out lineups where it's going to be tougher to match up against your starting nine and on your bench on any given night it's yeah. going to you're going to be looking at like Danny Jansen, Santiago Espinal, Kevin Biggio or you're going to be looking at Alejandro Kirk, Whitmerfield, Brandon Belt. Like you're going to be looking at really good bench options for later in games when it comes time to match up with the relievers that you're facing. Yeah, I mean having those players on the bench is a luxury. That's a great place to be. It's an awesome place to start the season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know, you know, we're obviously in the Blue Jays bubble watching the Jays and, and following so closely, you know, the Phillies, here we are in, in Clearwater, the Phillies have another great core of position players, but I, I just think it's it's kind of as good as it gets. And it's a different form than what we saw in 2022. There might be nights where we kind of look at the offense and think maybe they're a bit worse offensively. Maybe they do, you know, suffer with the absence of, of Lourdes and Teoscar, who were two legitimately really good hitters. But you're still adding Varsho to that mix. And I still think that night to night, there are going to be enough ways, especially if Brandon Bell can bounce back, there'll be enough ways for them to score a lot of runs 
on a, on a consistent basis. It's like, it's an old school take that I uh, never thought I would say, but uh, they, they don't have to just survive on the Homer, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know, they can do the, uh, the dreaded manufacturing of runs, but I think there is something to that. They're going to run the bases better. We know they're going to be more active. We've seen the style of baseball that John Schneider likes to play. Like we've seen that he likes action, likes to start runners. Like he likes having the ball and play a bit more often. Like I just, you look at even just the shape of a lot of the hitters on this team, like you are sacrificing some slug with the guys that you, um, with Teoscar, especially with some of the players who are out the door. And, and I think you're going to see a bit more of an approach and, and a bit more of, of ball in play baseball, like where I think this will really show up, honestly, is late in games. You look at the Blue Jays last year in late game leverage situations. It's a club that hit 218, the 280 on base and a 321 slug in high leverage plate appearances in the eighth inning and beyond. That's a 71 weighted runs created plus. Uh, those are like bottom seven production across MLB. The Blue Jays like were very exploitable in those late game leverage situations. They're very easy to game plan against and match up against. Should be harder this year. And I think this year will kind of test whether like the diversification of skill sets and the more balanced batting order is going to produce better results. Well, exactly, because in the past couple of years, there's always been that question. If you, if you have a really good right-handed reliever who comes in, maybe fastball slider combination can dominate against a run of right-handed hitters, the Jays didn't have a way to balance that or force an opposing manager's hand with the caliber of left-handed hitters that they now have in Belt and in Varsho. So a lot is resting on those guys to be able to create offensive threats that actually scare managers. I don't think anyone's expecting that to be what Kevin Kiermeyer brings to this team. But if Kevin Biggio can step in and, and have a big offensive season against righties, that would help um, just give the Jays a bit more balance. And, you know, as you said, home runs are awesome. We're ATL is a pro home run <laughs> podcast for the record. Um, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with homers. But if you have guys who can do different things like push a bunt up the first baseline for a base hit or steal a base, these play better defense. These things can add up. And that's a reason that the Jays are positioned where they are. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that the Blue Jays should be uh, sacrifice bunting more right. often. But if Kevin Kiermeyer wants to bunt for doubles, as he did the other day, go on, son. Exactly. Get after <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Those are those are great for fans, uh, great for everyone involved. It's so much fun to see that sort of creativity, really, on the field. I was going to do this later, but I'll just mention it now because we're on Kiermaier and you already brought it up. I, so I did the Statcast thing for uh, for Sportsnet uh, the other day, and uh, just looking up his sprint speeds this spring, and I mean his sprint speed is in line with 2019, which is the last time he played a full season healthy. In spring, he's averaging that. He says there's another gear that he hasn't gone to this spring. I've seen a couple, because I pulled up all the data, a couple where he's up over 30 feet per second, which is like elite sprint speed. This is a soon-to-be 33-year-old coming off of hip surgery, and he is running in spring training with like an average sprint speed that would have been 96th percentile last year. Kevin Kiermeyer, the ageless wonder, uh, is fast as all hell out here. Very encouraging thing for him. Well, you know, I've noticed just watching, you know, with the eye test and, and you watch him running around the bases, you watch him in the outfield. It's incredible. Like his speed is legit. It is game changing speed along the lines of what you might see from someone like a Trey Turner or the fastest players in the game. That's how close Kevin Kiermeyer is. And it's, it's interesting when you look at this group as a whole, the Jays kind of lead the league in fast old guys because, <laughs> you know, you've got Kevin Kiermeyer, Whit Merrifield, not a not necessarily a young player in this game anymore. Nope. He is moving really well also this spring. And even George Springer. I mean, Springer now fully healthy. This is a guy who's born in 1989. He's 33 years old right now. And he still moves pretty well. So, you know, it's it's a group that's not necessarily, uh, you know, the young players on this team, like a Vladdy or a Kirk, they're not necessarily the burners. But the old guys, relatively speaking, but baseball old, they are actually really fast. That's a good point. Of the, like, quote-unquote old guys, you can even put Chapman in there. He's about to turn 30 pretty fast yep. as well right like brandon belt's the one like quote-unquote old guy who, yeah he's not winning any races <laughs> yeah but the rest of them yeah all move pretty well and then even you know your sort of 28 year old category i don't know where that falls on the oldness scale but like your biggios lucas we mentioned yep. santiago espinal those are all guys who can move to yep it's a it's a good trait to have in a ball club 
And I know the Jays, even if it's not stolen bases, they want to see guys going first to third. They want to see guys scoring from second on a single. And really, that can add up. It's not going to be 100 runs, but it could be 10, 20 runs in the course of a season. There's value in base running and there's value in defense. I don't know if we do as good of a job of quantifying it. I don't know if we do as good of a job, honestly, in our roles in the media of expressing that value. Like it's so We get so fixated on what a guy does at the plate. What's his slash line? How many homers does he have? What's his ISO? What's his WRC plus? But there is value in base running and defense. And I, that is kind of part of the thesis of this Blue Jays roster is that there's wins in those yeah. categories and there's value in those characteristics and those attributes. And the Blue Jays are, are trying to leverage that. And it helps that those uh, traits are also in a lineup where you have Vlad Jr. who could hit 45 <laughs> home runs and you have Boba Shett who, you know, honestly could hit 315 this year and, and it wouldn't surprise anyone. So you've got you, George Spring of course he's probably good for an 838-40 OPS on a, on a given season so they've got incredible talent incredible ability uh, when it comes to those maybe more traditional batting skills that made the Blue Jays who they are the last few seasons add into that some base running and some defense and some speed and you're in a good spot Let's move to the bullpen because that's where we also got news recently, and that's that Zach Pop has won the final spot in the bullpen. So you're looking right now at a group of Romano, Swanson, Garcia, Bass, Meza at the back end, and then for kind of like middle innings area, you got Simber, Richards, and Pop. How do you feel about this group? Honestly, really good. Yeah, like I think it's a really good bullpen. We'll see. I mean, I think anytime that you have Nate Pearson, Jay Jackson, you know, Zulueta, Trent Thornton, those guys are in your AAA bullpen. They could pitch in the major leagues. I mean, Zulueta is maybe a bit more of a project, but certainly they have big league pitchers who are going to be a AAA for them to start the season. Now, there are still questions in this bullpen, as there are in every bullpen across Major League Baseball, and those questions are real. I mean, Tim Meza. Didn't look that sharp today. I know it's one outing. I know John Schneider afterwards saying, don't worry about it. It's, he's going to be fine. You look at, at Trevor Richards, who's kind of stretched into maybe a multi-inning role. He can bridge some of that gap. They would have liked to have Mitch White covering off some innings. They don't. But I mean, I think it's a better bullpen. I think the addition of Swanson is big when it comes to getting some of that swing and miss late in games. I don't know. Do you see it differently? Like to me, this is like just a really good bullpen. I feel like when you're building a bullpen, like you want different profiles that can attack different hitters like the game is so matchup driven nowadays and like the blue jays put a ton of work into their like modeling for how they approach matchups late in games and then also like the subjective kind of eye test of it too and like what the coaching staff has to put into it and who's feeling well and pitching well who trusts their pitch you know their stuff who needs a soft entry point like there's so much marrying i guess of the objective and subjective that goes into it and it's a lot of work going into each and every series throughout a year uh in terms of matchups and what the blue jays want to target and exploit and i just think they have better options to do that this year i think we're going to see less of adam simber and trevor richards in leverage like i think you're going to see those guys more so deployed optimally in matchups that make a lot of sense for them in the fifth and sixth innings like i think even a guy like anthony bass right now right like i'm you know that's a guy who so look you're what you're facing the cardinals right out of the gate right so anthony bass is a guy who maybe he's a really good matchup for like paul goldschmidt but then, say, Lars Newtbar is hitting behind Goldschmidt or whatever. I don't know how they're going to order it in St. Louis, right? But, like, so maybe he's not a good matchup for that. So maybe there is, like, a situation where it's, like, Goldschmidt, two runners on, two outs, and this is Anthony Bass. Whereas if it's a different situation where it's, like, Goldschmidt leading off an inning with the lefty behind him and Newtbar or whatever, well, maybe that's actually Eric Swanson. And, yeah. like, that's where I think, like, it's you just have these different pieces that fit into very specific keyholes. And I think that that's a really big improvement over last year's bullpen is just how you can target matchups late in games and just kind of like the the variety of profiles you have to deploy against the opposition. Yeah, I mean, Romano, you're comfortable with in any situation. Bass, you like against righties more so than lefties because the slider. Swanson, you're probably comfortable with in any situation. Same with Jimmy Garcia. Meza, obviously, you prefer him against lefties. So that really covers off your leverage, I think, between those guys. And then, like you said, I think Simber, Richards, maybe those are the guys who come in. 
if Yusei Kikuchi's pitched four and a third and it's time for a change, or if Jose Barrio struggles and you need to bridge a gap, that could be Trevor Richards, or you're down 6-1, maybe that's a Zach Pop situation. So they're all going to get work, and I'm sure that the perceived uh, you know order of you know who you're going to want in a given situation will change a lot as the year unfolds. But at this point, I think that's a strong group. It gets back to like what I said about the hitters. Like I think there's just a better diversity of skill sets here. So I think there's just more options for John Schneider and then Pete Walker and like David Howell and then the front office and analytics folks, R and D, everyone who's involved in making these decisions. Like it's so rare that you find um, like only the best relievers in the game really can navigate the stretch of like what is it with the Yankees like freaking Stanton Rizzo Judge right <laughs> like you know yeah. maybe you throw Donaldson in there too like it's very it's very hard to find one reliever who can like navigate that but even just Stanton Rizzo Judge righty lefty righty really really good hitters how many relievers in the game are going to be a good matchup for that pocket of three no one there's zero but <laughs> well i don't know jordan hicks or like some of the better like you know joan duran like some of the better relievers in the yeah. game like, at a certain I'm sure, you know devin williams there yeah. there are guys who are elite but at a certain point there's no matchup that you like <laughs> when you have and that applies to the jays too like relievers or managers matching up against the blue jays you have springer vlad and bow you can bring out whatever right-handed reliever you want you're not right. going to feel good about that but I guess my point would be like the it, it kind of gets back to how the pitcher limit construct like constricts the Blue Jays in their roster construction. Like the three batter limit kind of has had a real impact on how you build your bullpen. Yeah. And so you see a lot of teams, not just the Blue Jays, going without like that long guy, going yes. without that mop up guy, right? Because it's just like that doesn't have as much value as uh, let's say like a Zach Pop who, yeah, I mean, probably not the greatest matchup against a lefty, a tough lefty. Uh, Anthony Rizzo kind of showed you how that looks uh, the other day. But against the right righty and the right swing plane, the right profile, his turbo sinker is really effective. So there could be like a leverage spot in the sixth inning. Again, a couple runners on, two out, righty coming up, who's like a really good matchup for Zach Pop stuff. Bring him in, 97 down in the zone, get rollover ground ball. He hasn't given up a ton of home runs in the majors. <laughs> he gave up two to the Yankees the other day. Pitching on a back-to-back, by the way, with yeah. diminished stuff, diminished life, diminished velo. Interesting. I mean, it's tough. It's spring training. You don't want to read too much into it. And it was only like 18 hours after throwing 24 pitches the night before. But you have to face back-to-backs during the regular season. So now you've seen what that looks like, and you're probably going to avoid that. But there are like very specific scenarios for Zach Pop where it makes sense having him in this bullpen. And I think depending on you know how much the other guys have been used, you're actually not opposed to using any of these reliefers in a high leverage situation, which is more than you can say for a lot of bullpens in baseball and more than we could have said for various versions of this Blue Jays team in years past where there would be some guys that clearly you're going to avoid when the leverage is high. But I think at this point, the matchup could be right for any of them. You want to get a ground ball, Simber. You know, Trevor Richards has pitched in big spots before for this team. And I think, you know, to your point about the lack of that traditional long reliever, I think we're seeing that go by the wayside a little bit. And and honestly, even with a guy like Trent Thornton, who's not going to be starting at AAA, he's going to be maybe in more of a bulk role. He could be that bulk reliever. He could be that, you know, five, six inning guy, the long reliever that you have around. But the Blue Jays don't even feel that there's that need. They'd rather have someone like that max out for two innings and you get the best stuff as opposed to the most outs recorded. Seeing that with Pearson as well, right? Former starter. And he's been focusing on one inning outings this spring and even to the point about like the matchups you can use guys in a lot of this spring for a guy like anthony bass was all right let's try to develop your splitter so that you can have another weapon against lefties a lot of this spring for zach pop was like let's develop your slider and attack lefties on the back foot with it let's develop your two seamer as a front hip pitch against lefties boy is that like a hard pitch to get a feel for for a guy like zach pop because you have to be so precise with your command of it think about it you're throwing it on the inside part of the plate to a lefty you yank it you drill the guy now you just put a runner on your reliever that's the last thing you want to do if you're too short with it you leave it over the heart of the plate and now all of a sudden uh you know aaron judge is uh hitting it out in tampa or whatever so or not judge he's ready uh it would be rizzo who hit it out so like that's what like the blue jays have been trying to do developmentally with those guys uh you know it's a perhaps like mixed results at times but you're trying to get them to that point where you trust them against either side but 
the design of this bullpen in a lot of ways. And even with some of those AAA arms, like a Jay Jackson, like a Nate Pearson, those first guys will be up. Thornton belongs in that group as well because we know the Blue Jays like him. Just different looks, different tools that you can use in specific situations so that the matchup, the odds are always in your favor. And remember too, Chad Green coming back. I mean, that's a a big variable for this Blue Jays bullpen at some point this season, uh, likely around the trade deadline, end of July would be a reasonable expectation there. But he's someone who could have a huge impact on this team as well. Yeah. And uh, Jay Jackson as well, like that deal's not finalized yet, but will be, be a split deal. So that means he's going to make somewhere around 1.4 million as, as a major leaguer. Funny thing, he actually has an option left. He's 35. And like, so he had to have, and the Blue Jays found that out. And Jay Jackson thought he didn't have an option. His old agent told him he didn't have one. And they had to get his new agent to kind of look back. And it was like, oh yeah, you didn't have enough days in Milwaukee. So 35 year old with a minor league option remaining, the Blue Jays get him on a really Really, like creative split deal that incentivizes him to come back to Toronto although he didn't really need it because he actually really liked the Blue Jays organization I'll tell you one thing about Jay Jackson it's been a lot of organizations <laughs> uh like yeah both like domestically and abroad really liked his time with the Blue Jays this spring really liked the group of guys in the clubhouse really liked the idea him and his family this is just from speaking to, to him and people around him of living in Toronto and of like being in Canada and of just the culture around the Blue Jays. Uh, it's really a win-win for both sides that they're bringing him back. Uh, and, and obviously like the, the effectiveness is there as well. So having him optionable this year with his experience and his ability just adds another layer of like really, really good depth to this bullpen. When guys like him and Nate Pearson, who is top 10 average fastball velocity in MLB this spring, are like your optionable choices that's big it's huge yeah it really is and jackson led to believe that he had interest from a number of other teams after the jays released him so it was a brief period where he's a free agent and as you'd expect a lot of teams checking in so he chose the jays and that's a great thing for them as they move ahead just to have uh, an established pitcher with great velo good breaking ball available at AAA at any time that's how you want to be setting up your staff totally quick word on the starters we've talked about them so much but where are you at with this rotation right now well i think that the spring could not have gone better kikuchi was great start to finish well, one two fastball swing and a miss and that's what you love. Good velo, good life from the lefty. He strikes out Cannon to open up the sixth inning. He's going to walk some guys, but he's going to get a lot of strikeouts. And really, the big tests are ahead for him. And he said as much when he was talking to us after his final spring outing. He knows that the big tests are when the regular season begins and when the, the stats count. So I'm very curious to see how well he and Jose Barrios can carry forward what they've been doing in spring training. But this was best case scenario for how his spring would unfold. Yeah, it's just I I'm so curious to see how all these guys look in the regular season. Could be a little different. Like Chris Bassett has been like pitching purposefully with diminished velocity this spring and, and just kind of gradually building up, fiddling with the pitch calm and trying to figure that out with calling his own game, get to know new catchers. As you mentioned, you see Kikuchi making a ton of adjustments, a bunch of different physical things, a bunch of honestly mindset things, mentality things, how that all transfers to the regular season. Jose Brios enormous swing piece on this team if you get the jose brios of like minnesota of his prime in minnesota oh my goodness if you get the jose brios of 2022 how are you gonna approach that and alec manoa who like so last year cy young votes finalist i want to say right cy young finalist remarkable season every projection system will look at the lack of strikeouts and the amount of balls in play and say this is a guy who is due for regression and then Alec Manoa just keeps taking the mound and reading swings and navigating his way through game situations like Blue Jays people will tell you this is their ultimate competitor like this is the guy who like they trust to navigate his way through a start more than any like seems to just thrive in the moment on the mound He prepares, obviously, and he has a game plan, but he is one of the best at tweaking that game plan and adjusting it depending on what he's seeing from hitters. So just seeing him navigate that and and try to get through another season now that there's like 300 innings of data and video out there on them is going to be fascinating. And then Kevin Gosman, who has been just like vaporizing dudes this spring, gets his final outing in a minor league game against like 19-year-olds. He faced an A-ball lineup. Could you even 
imagine they had to call child services for like <laughs> what was going on on that on that backfield. Uh, just seeing him try to maintain that this year, have some better luck, and see what the results could be. It's just going to be kind of fascinating to see how it all develops. Yeah, it's it's a strong group. I mean, you look at each one of these five starters has pitched in an All Star game before or been selected to an All Star team before. They've done it. They've succeeded at a high level, and now they're all doing pretty well. They all finished spring having built some momentum. That's really important for Kikuchi and Barrios, Manoa. Like you said, I mean, even if he regresses, let's say his ERA goes up a run. Okay, I mean, the Jays would take that, right? That's still a really good starting pitcher if his ERA is 3.25. And Gosman is someone who, you know, has a chance to be one of the best starting pitchers in the American League this year. And I think that's not even a stretch when you look at how well he's pitched. Zach Thompson, by the way, is your number six. That's your your first guy up if there is a need for a starter. Uh, and beyond him, you, I think, would very quickly get into like bullpen day territory. Drew Hutchison, not ready yet. So I, I, I think that is like the flaw right now for the Blue Jays when it comes to starting pitching is just like quality of depth because it really isn't there as we stand here, stand here today. Yeah, exactly. And with Trent Thornton more in a bullpen role, probably 30 to 40 pitches at most um, in Buffalo, he wouldn't be a starting option. Um, you know, Casey Lawrence, did, we saw that last year. He's available, but that is your classic kind of quad A option. So really, um, there are some questions beyond Thompson um, for, for depth purposes, but they're crossing their fingers that that front five is strong enough. Yeah, if you needed someone beyond Thompson to start a game, like I think it would, at this point, it would probably be Bowden Francis for three innings, Trevor Richards for two and two thirds, and then mixing and matching from like Simber to Bass to Garcia to Romano. And even Kikuchi might not be going six, seven. Like he might be a five inning guy. That's fine. Yeah. So a lot of pressure on Yosfer Zulueta to go to AAA and kind of show that he's the real deal and show that he's legit and he can like maintain as a starter and throw strikes and fill up the zone because like he could put himself on the on the 40 now going to AAA. like i'm led to believe it'll start with kind of shorter outings to begin the year just to manage the workload but he could put himself he could pitch himself into that conversation very quickly because there isn't a ton of competition there on the old starting uh, depth chart Ricky Tiedemann and Sam Roberts uh, <laughs> at double A, just another level removed, but uh, that's probably a topic for another ATL. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, let's step away, but when we come back, we will tie up some loose ends on our final podcast from here at Blue Jays Spring Training. All that, so much more when it continues on At The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It continues on at the letters, Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith. Thanks, as always, to our producers, Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan. You can send us an email at the letters at sportsnet.ca. Wrapping up, man, here at spring. It's been a long <laughs> one. Uh, it's going to be good to see some actual baseball that matters. Uh, it's funny. You don't take anything that happens in spring too seriously, but it has been noticeable that Alejandro Kirk has uh, had a bit of a learning curve with the new rules. And obviously he was late uh, reporting to camp because he you know, had the birth of, of his child. And then he got in and then it was like, will he or won't he go to the WBC? And he didn't. There was a ramp up to getting into games. And then we've seen him a few times behind the plate, like still sort of navigating some of that new rule stuff that I think a lot of catchers and camps navigated in very early games um but look there are things that have been happening in games just in the last few days with kirk behind the plate that you cannot have happening in st louis or kansas city this weekend and into next week exactly i mean we've seen it where kirk at times and this gets pretty complicated pretty quickly so i i might uh, for that job I'll, i'll do my best here but if the pitcher is on the mound and there's no one on base, the pitcher cannot disengage. The pitcher cannot be the one to initiate essentially a timeout. That has to come from the catcher, in this case, Kirk. And Kirk has been taking that step. Well, initially, he actually didn't take that step, but he learned to take that step of calling the timeout. But then what he has to do is immediately start moving toward the mound to engage with the pitcher, to talk with him. And that counts as a mound visit, but it's worth it because if the pitch clock is counting down to four, three, two, you need as the pitcher in that situation to have time called. You do not want to risk, as Alec Manoa put it, you don't want to risk 
having to rush a call and then deliver a pitch with like one or two seconds. It is not a recipe for success against the best hitters in the world. So Kirk needs to make that adjustment. That is on him and him alone. Danny Jansen seemingly has has made that adjustment so far in Blue Jays camp. We haven't seen that issue pop up with him. Um, and the Blue Jays are saying that they believe that it'll be fine with Kirk and that he'll be able to get that uh, sorted by the time the games count starting on Thursday. And Kirk as well has said that it's, you know, quote, confusing at times, which it can be for all of us. Uh, but he believes that he'll be ready to go when the games count. So, you know, this is a pretty big issue, I think. And, and I don't want to overstate it because the downside is a ball. You know, it's not the end of the game. It's not the end of the world. But all these details matter. You know, it matters to Alec Manoa. It might matter in a one-run game. So you want to put yourself in a position where you're not getting in your own way. And this is part of that process. Well, it depends on the context, though. Because if that ball is in a three-ball count, and now all of a sudden you're facing, like, Alec Manoa is facing the St. Louis Cardinals on opening day, and you just, like, walk to whoever's Tommy leading. Tommy Edmund. <laughs> right, whoever, yeah, Tommy Edmund to turn over the lineup, and now here comes, like, Brendan Donovan, or if they have Newt Bar leading off. Like, I don't, they have a nice lineup, honestly. I don't oh, know yeah. how they're going to... That's a good team. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to order it, uh, but they got a lot of good players. Like, and now here comes a good hitter with a runner on, and, like, maybe it's, yeah, Manoa starting his third trip through, and they got a really good idea of what they're looking for in his stuff's diminished. Like it's pretty context dependent. Yep. And the one we saw with Kirk the other day did cost Manoa a walk. Exactly. Derek Hall ended up on first base in that situation. It's just for a team that's really trying to take care of the little things. This is the exact sort of thing that you cannot afford to be giving away to your opponents. Even if it's one ball and it goes to 2-0 instead of 2-1, you do not want to be in that situation. You know the pitchers expect Kirk to be able to manage that. You know, we'll see how it all unfolds in the regular season. I'm not trying to go all doomsday here, but to me as the Blue Jays wrap up camp, this really is a question and and good for Kirk for taking the time to be with his family. That's never been in question, but the reality is that following from that, he did not have quite as much time to get to know these rules and there are some complexities to them it takes some reps to get that going and so until the games start unfolding and he shows a full command of those rules that will be a question for me yeah it's that classic like end of spring training question well what's your primary concern like going into the season i think for me honestly yeah it's catching and it's not the offense from these two catchers because I think like if Danny Jansen's healthy, he might just have that Danny Jansen breakout season we've been looking for. And Alejandro Kirk is just like he just rolls out of bed raking. Like for for you know all we're talking about all the learning curve and kind of the adjustments he had to make behind the plate this spring. As soon as he was in games, it was his barrels. Kirk with a liner over the leap of Valdez at second into center. Just another day for Alejandro Kirk aboard three times. Couple of walks, the base hit. Yeah, and, and even like there was one moment with uh, Kirk after he was ask, answering all these questions about the defensive side of it. And someone asked him, hey, you know, how, how is it for you offensively? And he just starts smiling. He's like, it's totally fine. He's not worried about it offensively. It's, it's a guy that can make contact on just about any pitch. Oh, yeah. I mean, if he could run, he would be a really good leadoff hitter. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> like his padded ball profile. But anyway, I'm not worried about uh, them offensively at all. It's more so behind the plate. And it's Kirk getting accustomed to the rules. It's Danny Jansen getting used to pitch calling for Chris Bassett, who is like one of the most fastidious, meticulous pitchers. He's fascinating to watch. He's fascinating to talk to. But in several outings like this spring, we've seen him frustrated with some of the pitch calling, frustrated with the lanes, fiddling with the pitch calm. Um, on the mound trying to call his own pitches saying he's doing that so that Danny Jansen understands what he wants to throw in certain counts and how he wants to set hitters up like this is a guy who dives really deep into game planning into preparation into data into advanced scouting like really it's like what Ross Stripling was last year but like dialed up even a few notches uh, from there so I do think that like Danny Jansen getting on the same page as Chris Bassett is another big one going into the season it is and it's really interesting with Bassett because he's saying that he's going to use the pitchcom device on his glove and he's saying not that he necessarily wants to but that he has to because he's throwing seven pitches you know on a, on a given day 
the different locations, he doesn't want to have to run through those signs in 15 or 20 seconds because there's just not enough time. So he feels that he needs to be the one calling those pitches. And that is uh, not ideal. He's an intense guy. Like you said, you get the sense that you know, he has very high standards for himself, as a lot of these players do. You say Kikuchi as well, really up and down this roster. It's, you know, it's a common theme. These players are very exacting of themselves. There's some <laughs> intense dudes in yeah. that clubhouse, man. There are. Yeah, there there really are. And I think, you know, Bassett expects a lot of himself. He was disappointed with the way that things unfolded in his final spring start um, as far as trying to transition from the mode of calling his own pitch to then making that pitch. And it's actually interesting when you think about it because calling the pitch is more cerebral um, and then delivering the pitch is, of course, very physical. So it's two different modes that he has to switch between. And he was describing that challenge and saying that it's not the easiest thing, which kind of makes sense when you think about it. Chris Bassett's story for you. So last year, and I don't know if it would have been like McCann catching him or whoever, but last year with the Mets, there were times where, let's just say it was McCann, would put down the sign and it would be the pitch that Chris Bassett wanted to throw and Bassett would shake it off and then keep shaking five, six, seven times until McCann got back around to that initial pitch just to mess with the hitter. (laughs) Like this is the stuff that Chris Bassett does. He would shake all the way back to the original. Like this is the type of like maniac that you are dealing with, you know? uh, That's amazing. And I love that. I love that from a gamesmanship standpoint, but I'm also so glad that the pitch clock exists (laughs) because it's so much better for the overall product just to have them hit one button that goes to the earpiece and then they're good to go. That's just a little window into the mind of Chris Bassett. He's doing a lot on the mound and he wants to and i quote weaponize the pitch clock yeah. against hitters i think we haven't even begun to see what pitchers are going to do with the pitch clock against hitters i know we saw scherzer toying with it a little bit we saw certain like even luke bard was kind of toying with it a little bit in this camp for the blue jays but there's going to be things the pitchers are doing with the pitch clock on like april 10th or whatever where we're like why didn't we think of that yeah of course they're doing that and they, they're not showing it in spring training but of course that's what they're doing chris bass is one of those guys who has all kinds of tricks up his sleeve and things he's going to use against hitters so he's that's another layer by the way it's not just like the cerebral pitch calling it's not just the physical execution of the pitch it's also the gamesmanship and like utilization of the pitch clock the timing the rhythm the tempo and trying to use that against hitters these are big rule changes right these are the biggest rule changes that we've seen in decades for major league baseball and so of course these players have to adjust these are pretty big adjustments for anyone who's ever played the game of baseball well i guess this wasn't the upper minors so uh for most major leaguers uh this is a big adjustment for major league coaches for major league managers this is a big adjustment for some major league umpires like there will be disputes there will be things that go wrong with this and the blue jays just need to put themselves in a position where they are not losing anything any little edge from these rules as they're implemented and that extends as far as behind the plate like what jansen and kirk are doing to an alec manoa who's getting used to these rules to a kevin gosman who has a different delivery to yusei kikuchi and jose brios who are both making a ton of adjustments and trying to pitch a lot differently even holistically as a staff like include the relievers there are some things the blue jays are trying to do differently this year in terms of fastball command as a staff and moving fastballs around the zone you can see it a lot more from guys like anthony bass and trevor richards and adam simber who have maybe been zach thompson's a huge example of this guys who have been like maybe just a little too deliberate and a little too repeatable with their fastball location you're gonna see them moving it around the zone a lot more so there's a lot on these catchers defensively honestly and it's like we were saying with um the position player group and how look there's runs to be produced and prevented in base running and in defense like there are wins and losses in base running and defense same goes for game calling receiving uh everything that a catcher does behind the plate oh by the way 
base running is going to be a lot more active this year for all teams. Base stealing is going to be up this year. That's another layer the catchers are going to have to absorb and handle this year. I think there's a lot of things defensively with catchers this year. So that is like something I'm very interested to see how that plays out with Jansen and Kirk, just how they handle all that responsibility behind the plate. Because as we've been mentioning, there have been times this spring where it, it hasn't quite been there. Yeah, it really is those two. It's a lot on those two. They're capable of it, both um, easily among the better catchers in the game and have a chance to continue making huge impact for the Jays. But there's no Gabriel Moreno behind them. Dalton Varsho, I think, put on the catcher's gear once. I, I think uh, Joe Siddle, told, this is a rumbling from a, a few days ago, but uh, there was a rumbling that he might put on some catcher's gear. Um, I'm not sure if that actually happened or not. But, it, you know, <laughs> that's that kind of tells you how much Dalton Varsho's caught. I don't think Dalton Varshall loves catching. I don't think that the Blue Jays want him catching. No. And as far as I know, he didn't touch catcher's gear. I think spring. it might have been once. It might have been once. Yeah. So, yeah, not exactly a guy who's prepared to, like, go in and catch nine innings. It's on Jansen and Kirk. Yeah. Rob Brantley, first guy up. Rob Brantley, totally capable, by the way. Really, like, slick defender. I like watching Rob Brantley catch. He is so athletic and so flexible in his hips uh and he is like a, a great veteran to have around i've really enjoyed getting to know him this spring like i hope he's in toronto in some capacity at some point or on the road on the taxi squad or whatever just to kind of like shoot the breeze with them uh but so that you, you feel good about that layer of depth but yeah there isn't like an upside catcher for the blue jays like that's it's uh, an area of the organization that is thinned out really quickly yeah and that's and they were happy to deal from that position of strength to address different needs. But the reality is they are very reliant on Kirk and Jansen, and, and that's a good pair to be reliant on. So two guys I want to mention from that StatCast piece that I did at Sportsnet. I just want to throw this out there because it was just kind of interesting to me to kind of look back on some of the data from spring, some of the measurables, like see who was you know on the leaderboards. I mentioned Nate Pearson, top 10 fastball velocity uh, across MLB. Obviously led the Blue Jays camp in in fastball velocity, but I mean average ninety eight point three this spring, so uh, that's huge. I've talked about Rainier Nunez enough. No one else wants to to hear me talk about him, but some massive exit velos, some balls coming off his bat at very high rates of speed. But the other thing that was really interesting to me when I looked at the average air exit velocity for this spring. So that's like every bad ball excepting ground balls. So you take out the ground balls and line drive, pop up, fly ball, take your average air exit velocity. Nunez led the way. Brandon Belt up there as well. He's been putting the ball in play at a very high rate of speed. Third on that list, Zach Britton. And Zach Britton played a lot this spring, had a lot of opportunities. This wasn't like, you know, two balls in play or something like that. Outfielder. Right? Outfielder, again, converted catcher. And a guy who also still wants to catch, by the way, a guy who likes catching. I think the Blue Jays see him more as an outfielder. He sees himself more as a catcher. We'll see how that plays out. But it's a guy we probably don't talk about enough. Like 24, left-handed hitter, pretty advanced prospect. Um, I imagine he's going to start back at double A. Like that's where he finished 2022. And he wasn't on that initial Bison's roster that yep. was released. I honestly don't think it would be too aggressive to push him up to triple a him and addison barger very tight like i might want to keep those two guys together but it was interesting that he wasn't on that initial roster we'll see where he ends up but like this is a guy who like at the end of the year at double a it was 312 plate appearances uh got on base at a 381 clip and slugged 444 and then he went to the arizona fall league and had like a 1057 ops walked as often as he struck out and now he shows up in camp here and he's barreling everything he is like a name a guy who i think honestly could be knocking on the big league door later this year first pitch to zach Britton is tomahawk high and deep out to right field that one is ticketed for us 19 holy smokes zach Britton absolutely pummels the baseball a three-run home run delivers the knockout. You know what? You make a compelling case there. I mean, the exit velos, the on-base percentages that he was posting, even just the age being 24 years old, that's a great combination. I mean, you have to think that if he goes to double A and posts whatever it is, 800 OPS, he's making consistent contact, his swing decisions are good. 
playing some reasonable defense. I mean, that's a lot to ask. That's not everyone can do that. But if he does, then absolutely, you'd think that he'd be on the big league radar. Yeah, kind of similar Varsho path going from yep. catcher to outfielder. Not the defender that Varsho is, and the outf- not putting that comp on him. But as somebody who can still catch, or as I don't really think Varsho's going to catch really at all this year, but as somebody who could still catch in Britain, interesting piece of the versatility there. Let me also bring up Zach's buddy, Addison Barger, who yep. we talked about earlier this camp, put a lot of tools on display like we saw big exavilos big homers we saw the big leg kick the approach at the plate uh some into some good swing decisions honestly like i saw him work some good plate appearances and then we finally got to see him play a bit of shortstop as well got to see him show off the arm uh addison barger had three of the five hardest infield throws at this camp including the hardest one that was tracked at 90 miles per hour so this is a camp that included Matt Chapman. Yes. By the way. Remember that. So, and Vlad Jr. has got quite an arm when he needs to use it. Uh, so the answer when you ask, like, who has the biggest infield arm in the organization? It's Vlad Jr. He can throw. Last year he was tracked throwing on relays like 91. Even when I'm just watching him do drills, sometimes like on the backfields at camp, they'll be doing, you know, like cutoff drills. And uh, you'll all stand pretty close to the screen so you get a real sense for it and just the movement on the throws from Vlad Jr. like he's throwing a live ball like there's a it's he's obviously not trying he's probably trying to get a forcing grip on it but that ball moves like he's got a lot of life behind his throws totally um and he was tracked over 90 last year on the odd opportunity that he got a chance to like throw a relay or sometimes he'd throw to a third to get a runner trying to to advance so the answer is Vlad Jr. who has the second hardest or the second biggest infield arm in the organization might be Addison Barger over Matt Chapman. It's at least like 2A and 2B. They both have cannons, right? They both have absolute hoses. But Addison Barger averaged 88.2 miles per hour on his infield throws in this camp, playing shortstop, playing short and third, different things, 88.2. So you look at your 2022 MLB shortstops, right? And who was atop the leaderboards? O'Neill Cruz. 94 absolute like freak of nature right then willie adamas at 90 you got jose barrero at uh 89 6 dd gregorius at 89 uh javi baez at 88 7 and then Addison barger would have fit in right there and so i'm pretty sure dd gregorius is like out of the game so Addison barger top five top six at worst shortstop arm in mlb if he were in mlb just based on what he displayed in this camp dude's got an absolute cannon yeah that's a that's a huge hugely important skill for for an infielder of course he'll go to triple a and see what he can do offensively as well Uh, we know the powers there we know the confidence is there with addison barger so really interesting to see what he's going to be able to do but that infield arm you know it's it's impressive and and these are guys they're obviously not doing it off a mound they're doing it in real time they don't have the chance necessarily to set their feet so that's why it's not quite as impressive as it would be obviously if these guys were going off a mound but those numbers they're elite in the game of baseball and mention the sprint speed off the top as well with kevin kiermeyer like a guy who is absolutely flying winton bernard no surprise led the camp in average sprint speed actually tied with cam eden who's going up to triple a who's uh that's like he is rocketing up the blue jay system he's already at triple a like the double a numbers last year like aren't gonna like turn your head it was 215 with a 292 on base and a 376 slug big strikeout rate but the blue jays are moving them to triple a buffalo really good defender super super fast there is some pop in his bat his name was up there on the air exit velocity leaderboard so there is some power the blue jays just obviously got to work on the swing decisions and get him walking a bit more making some better contact but another kind of outfielder in that speed and defense profile there is something the Blue Jays like about guys who do those things really, really well. Yeah, it's a good combo to have. And as, as Lucas showed, by by earning that final spot, there's always room for those guys in the major leagues. And Bernard, another guy who, like, speed and defense, both off the charts, showed it in this camp. Wouldn't be a surprise to see him up at the big league no. level at some time this year. With Lucas on the big league club, Bernard is, like, the top layer of outfield depth at triple uh, a buffalo right now yeah a lot of a lot of players on that triple a team that we'll see here in the majors at some point anyone stand out to you 
at camp. I just gave uh, a few names. Well, I'm going to go a little bit more uh, basic with my choice here. Um, I'm just going to go with Boba Shat. I mean, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. Obviously, it's Boba Shat. It's one of the best players on the Jays, uh, one of the better hitters in the American League. And, uh, you know, when I'm watching this camp behind the scenes in the games, Boba Shat just looks ready. He just looks really ready to have a big year. Um, I'm impressed with what I'm seeing. It's not a surprise. Of course, you'd expect a really good hitter to have a really good spring training. But yeah, my eyes are, are very open when it comes to Boba Shat and what he's going to be able to do offensively. I think defensively, he's going to be solid. Doesn't need to go out and win a gold glove. But I think that offensively, I'm really intrigued to see what he can do. The intensity of his plate appearances in this camp was something to watch, honestly. And I, I don't have it in front of me, but I would imagine if he didn't lead the camp in plate appearances, he would have been near the top. Yeah, like he so he was up there all. He's in the lineup all the time. And so, what's cool from my broadcast position now, being in the camera well, like I just get a better view of the intensity of field level and of like just yeah, what is going on. And I mean, he was really competing in these play appearances it's spring training Boba Shet's not competing for a job like there's no question who's going to be the starting shortstop on opening day like he's got his contract through you know his arb years like all that settled and he is just bringing such a fire and such an intensity to his plate appearances right now it was really cool to watch that uh and it was cool also just to talk to Bo about what he learned during the September surge right and into October as well like when he really turned around his 2022 when he kind of put away some of the well you know i want to be that more patient hitter well i want to be that swing decision guy i don't want to you know be the guy who's waving at two sliders <laughs> if you don't like aggressive Bo bichette you're not going to like 2023 Bo bichette because he's just going to be all in on the aggressive approach because he believes that's what works for him and the numbers would suggest that as well for as much as we talk about the two strike approach that he has not great numbers the two strikes does all of his damage before he gets to two strikes so i think you're gonna see him being very aggressive probably swinging at like more than half the pitches that he sees and when he's right it's from talking to him when he's right when he's seeing the ball well and like swinging at pitches he wants to swing at he is able to make very good contact like that's his special ability as a ball player is being able to get his barrel to a lot of pitches around the zone so i think you're going to see him very aggressive this year yeah a lot of opposite way hits we saw one go over the wall here uh in clearwater just a couple hours ago and the plate appearances i mean you mentioned those he's someone who tends to lead the league in plate appearances or come pretty close certainly led the league in hits each of the last two seasons and i definitely won't be surprised if he does that three in a row since he reached the majors he's hit 414 with a 692 slug when putting the first pitch of a plate appearance in play that's a solid line. <laughs> he has more first pitch base hits over the last two seasons than any hitter in the game. Yeah, so that's I, I believe it. Having seen many of those hits firsthand, I believe it. Bo's going to be swinging this year. Going to be very interesting uh, season for him. Should be an interesting season for the Blue Jays. We are wrapping up here at spring training for ATL. We got to go back to Toronto. The Blue Jays probably well on their way to St. Louis right now. But we'd be remiss if we didn't leave you with a prediction. Where do you think? Blue Jays win total falls this year. How do you think the Blue Jays do in the AL East? How deep do they get into the postseason? What are you thinking right now at the end of camp? Well, to start with wins, I'm going to say 94 wins. They won 92 last year. I think it's a very good team, and I think the balanced schedule will help them. Um, plus, I mean, the Yankees are worse. They'll play the Yankees less often. They won't have to play that great Yankees team as often is, is the point I'm making. Um, so 94 wins, AL East title. And where that leads, I don't know. But they need to win some playoff games this year. They need to win some playoff series this year. Uh, but I'll, I'll leave my prediction at 94 wins and an AL East. Well, we have the uh, predictions coming out at Sportsnet this we week. Do. I have the Blue Jays winning 95 games. And I have the Yankees winning 94 and the Rays winning 93. 
I think that all three of those teams are going to be incredible and it's just going to be a dogfight through to the end. And by the way, don't look at the September schedule when the Blue Jays like exclusively play the Rays and the Yankees down the stretch. Those games are going to be amazing. Uh, But yeah, I think 95 for the Jays, 94 for the Yankees, 93 for the Rays. I think the Blue Jays make it to the ALCS and fall to your World Series champion, Tampa Bay Rays. Wow. Okay, so my World Series prediction, I just looked this up. It is going to be Mets over Mariners, folks. So brace yourself for that. Um, Mariners. Yeah, I heard, that, heard it here first. Wow. Um, and the Jays, yeah, I, I, I think they're in a great spot. I think this has a chance to be a really memorable season. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Jays end up making it to the ALCS, to the World Series. They have that kind of talent. That should be the goal. And uh, it's definitely within reach. Um, as much as it is for any team. We both have them winning the division, though. Here's a question for you. I shouldn't even extend the podcast to this point, but can the Blue Jays have a successful season without reaching the World Series? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if they make it to a DS and lose or to the CS and lose, is that a successful season? If they make it to the CS and lose, yes, Yes, that's a successful season. I will say this, though. If they don't win a playoff game, it's not a successful season. Right. You got to start winning some playoff games and, and and really playoff series. I agree with you. If the Blue Jays, honestly, if they just win the AL East, I think that's a successful season. That's how much I think yeah. the playoffs are just dumb luck, honestly. But if <laughs> but if they if they win the AL East and they flame out in three games in the D, like ah, really, yeah, that's I don't know. I just you got to win in the playoffs. This is part of the challenge. It's true. It's not fair, but it's part of the challenge. It's true. We've gone a little ahead of ourselves here on March 28th yeah, exactly. talking about... They're 0-0. They're, <laughs> the they're winless. The winless Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, goodness. Only six months to go, Ben Nicholson-Smith, and we will be there every step of the way with you loyal listeners on ATL. I want to thank you, as always, for listening. I want to thank our producers, Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan, for all their hard work. Thanks to being with us throughout a spring training in which I believe every ATL episode was live and on location. Uh, here in, in beautiful Florida. So hope you enjoyed that. Plenty more to come throughout the season. Until next time, this has been At The Letters.